Kia ora, and welcome to Ben Presents, a series of conversations exploring the depth and richness of the Christian tradition between the hosts Sam Bloor and members of the Ven team and wider Ven community. Each short series of Ven Presents will expand on some of the themes that have emerged from Ven's work, including our programs, events, books, and our monthly publication, Common Ground. The topics will be wide-ranging, from exploring Christian faith and doctrine to engagement with wider culture, including family, business, the arts, education, music, and sport. Our hope is that through each series of Ben Presents, you'll be able to reimagine how the gospel might look in the communities and callings you find yourself in today. Now let's go ahead and listen to the latest episode. Hello and welcome to the program. My name's Sam Bloor and I'm delighted today to be joined by Dr. Adrian Chaplin, a philosopher who specialises in the arts. Adrian, so good to have you with us. You've been on a tour in New Zealand. Tell us a little bit about that and landing here in Auckland. Um, Yes, so I started in Dunedin with um, a course on faith in art which I taught at the um, University of Otago at the theology department. And it was an intense course uh, for a full week. Um, and um, after that, I did a bit of touring in the South Island and also um, some uh, talks and meetings with artists in Nelson and Christchurch. Um, and then a couple of days ago, I came to Auckland. And um, so here I am. Yeah, you um, did a wonderful conversation evening with the Venn Foundation with us last night, which was great. And anyone listening who was at that event, there will be some stuff that we refer to. So, um, you know, keep keep listening, but we will be doubling up on some of the, the things that we cover because that was such a wide-ranging conversation that you, you had last night. But people will have picked up on the accent. Uh, you're, you're Dutch. Um, tell us, uh, growing up, just a, maybe a, a brief history of how you came from to be from there to where you are now, just outside of Cambridge. Sure, sure. So um, I grew up in Amsterdam and lived there till my late twenties, um, and um, also, always had a, an interest in the arts. I'm not quite sure where it came from because um, I, I didn't come from a particularly artistic family, but uh, I was just fascinated by uh, especially contemporary art. Okay. And of course, I was surrounded in Amsterdam yes. by lots of arts, and I grew up in the sixties and seventies there, um, so lots of opportunities to see art. Um, um, and in the gallery of contemporary art in Amsterdam, the State Luck Museum, um, I was—I I, realised always kind of interested in the philosophical questions around it as well. So I still clearly remember seeing a, 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 a heap of of coal once in one of the rooms, and and I really starting to think about this question of found art. Yeah? What makes the, the the heap of coal in the room different? from if I would have encountered it outside. Yes. Um, and, and why am I paying it to it, all this attention to it now and, and other people's as well? Uh, so that was one, one, one a typical question. Just a moment I, for you that, yeah, course, that sparked I something. I clearly remember that. Um, but I also uh, studied uh, music, a violin. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so I did uh, a couple of years at the Swaling Conservatory there. Um, and again, it, it was all the philosophical questions I was interested in were a, a, a violin bow has, has horse hair 
and and the strings are often made of of um, animal gut. Yes. Some say cat gut, but it, it, it could be any gut. Um, and the, the very idea that you kind of have these two elements, uh, so horse hair stroking over <laughs> animal gut, something as physical as that. Yes. How could that create such a, an, um, a moving sound, which all of a sudden transported you in a whole different world of feeling? Because with a violin strike, even with long tone, you can yes. do so much. You can go scratch, you can go very warm, you do not so vibrato. So you create, you, you're all of a sudden transformed in this other reality. So how does art convey meaning? That that really has been my abiding question through, throughout and still. Right. Yeah. yeah. So those were those formative moments that uh, triggered my interest. Just to give us an how old were you then when you're sort of thinking these sorts of, I mentioned you picked up violin as a child. Yes. Yeah. So these questions would be yeah, mid, mid tense. Yeah. yeah. So 30, 40, 50, and then I started reading philosophy then. So it's been, yeah, going for a long time. <laughs> um, and then I did study philosophy as well at uh, the Free University in Amsterdam. And all my degrees are in philosophy, but I always, um, focused on the arts. So if I did history of philosophy, say Plato or um, Aquinas, I would look at what they had to say about art or beauty, um, those questions. Okay. Yeah. And landing in the UK, uh, coming to live there now? Yeah, yeah. I studied for two years in Toronto. That's where I met my current husband yeah. and, and he's English, yes. Jonathan. Okay. Um, so we moved to London first and um, lived in, in Oxfordshire. And then went back to Toronto, actually, for eight years, where we both taught at uh, a graduate school called the Institute for Christian Studies, okay. which had a strong um, interest in the arts. In fact, I went specifically to study there initially because of one professor called Calvin Seerveld. Um, and then we moved back to the UK. So okay. we are now in a small village near Cambridge where we live. Yeah. Well, look, I did admit to you last night that I was feeling a bit intimidated. And one of the reasons for that is that coming across your book, Art and Soul, uh, really a sort of a, a primer in helping to introduce like what our art's doing, how can Christians be involved in the arts and, and just be greater appreciators of the art. It's everyone. And then how can Christian artists be supported? And we'll get to some of those themes and questions. But that you wrote that in, was that 1996? Like, I've recently done a paper in theology and the arts, and some of what is being written now is really only, to be honest, repeating some of those themes that you wrote a number of years ago. So it's a, a part of the reason for the intimidation is that you've been just thinking about this for a really long time in ways that are very accessible, um, as you as you did last night. It was just a, a wonderful intro. And so, yeah, keep listening. You're, you're, you're in for a bit of a, a treat. <laughs> um, this faith... Faith and Art Question, which was the title of the Otago course, you're sort of saying there's two ways you could approach this. Uh, right. There's the the faith and art, um, art actually portraying faith, and then us having faith in art, as we might say, faith in, in other things, faith in science. Like we, we, we put our faith in those things, or there's a way in which those things are, um, are trusted to do certain things. Do you want to just explain a bit about both of those? And the the difference between them, say moving from one to the to the other. Sure. Yeah. So in in the course, we we dealt with both aspects of that. Um, and I, th yeah, when you you think about faith in art, it's it's good to remember uh, that until the 
18th century or 17th, 18th century, uh, almost all art was um, um, had had religious themes. So if we go to a museum now, um, okay, perhaps not 18th century, but 16th century, um, a lot of the history of Western art uh, incorporates biblical themes. So maybe now problematized the relationship. I mean, it never was a problem uh, in in the past. Right. Yes. So it was only in the modern period that religion and uh, art got divorced in, in, in quite a radical way um, uh, to the point that an um, an art historian like James Elkins who, who may be familiar to some could say that, that they are inherently hostile to each other. Okay. Now he has a point because if you think about modernism as a movement as, as it originated in the Enlightenment uh, when we did put our faith in science and in reason and in, in progress, then yes, there would be an, an inherent um, um, separation or an inherent conflict. Um, yet the, 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 the narrative needs to be qualified a little bit as well. Yes. Uh, because, of course, um, there were many other uh, art, art forms and, and movements uh, during that period, including Romanticism, uh, who, who wanted to retrieve the notion of spirituality in their art and looked at landscape and, 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 and the natural environment as ways to convey transcendence. Okay. Um, now you have to, again, we, we looked quite carefully at the notion of spirituality and often um, we, we, we looked at what it was contrasted with. Uh, so in the Romantic period, it was contrasted with often institutional religion, right. which was considered oppressive and um, confining. Um, so spirituality had more a sense of freedom and openness. Um, but there was also a movement in the modern period um, called Abstract Expressionism. Um, and several of those painters would, would um, have, a, as you could call a, a quest for the spiritual. And so Kandinsky, for example, wrote a book about the spiritual in art, and Mondrian also talked about the spiritual in art. Now, their notion of spirituality was not in contrast to um, institutional religion primarily, uh, but in contrast to the material world. Um, and um, and that has been, to some extent, quite attractive for a lot of Christians because they think, well, is, isn't that what I'm paying? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, but we also looked then at the, the biblical notion of spirituality and I really realized that it's not against materiality or physicality. Because uh, if you look at Genesis, the, the creation, yeah. uh, including trees and stones, uh, everything uh, is created good uh, and, yeah. and and declared good or very good even. Yeah. So um, I mean, the, the 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 incarnation and then the resurrection is like a doubling and a tripling down yes. on material yeah. life, isn't it? Okay. There's, yeah. It's just the all of these things are just a resounding, yeah. uh, just validation of the material. World. Absolutely. Um. You've included a line that uh, Mondrian even said that art was hostile to the material. Yes. How did they square that away with the fact that they were working with material products to create the art? Um, yeah. Sculptors or painters are, are, are literally fabricating something that will move us. That's right, yeah. So actually it was uh, predicated by, he, he would say, although born from the material, he said, right. okay. yeah, art is hostile to the material. So he recognizes that it is born from 
I think it was a particular view of, of abstraction. Um, okay. Uh, so to get away from representational reality and what they would say is looking behind the visible, behind the representation, um, to get to the, the structure of reality and they would say to get at the truth of it. Um, and again, uh, there's something to be said uh, yes. for that um, um, because artists always distill patterns in some way in reality. So you could even say all art is abstract. Um, I, I'm inclined to say that. Yes, you, yes, you always yes. abstract something. Yes. And there's never one representation which is kind of a copy uh, of, of reality. Um, but it doesn't mean that it becomes spiritual in, in the way we as Christians would talk about it. While we're sticking in this first half of it, which is the, the representation of some sort of faith or spiritual elements in art, one of the things that you've noticed is a lot of contemporary artists bringing those themes back in. So you want to make a couple of observations about what you've seen or comments on, on people who are doing that? Yeah, that is, I think, a fascinating development um, um, more recently. So that would not be so much modern art, but contemporary art. So... Um, and um, and these are often kind of artists from a post-Christian generation, and and often not, although some are believers, um, but they are just fascinated by the biblical stories or by um, the objects used in churches. So um, a, an artist like uh, Serrano would just love all the liturgical. Uh, paraphernalia in the Catholic Church. They would be kind of drawn to that. Um, and you can understand that because an artist is always drawn by shapes and figures and the materiality and interesting objects and fascinating shapes. Um, so they would incorporate that in their art um, in, 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 in different ways. So often biblical stories uh, are referenced. Um, uh, so the Last Supper, for example, is 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 coming back. If you if you Google the Last Supper in contemporary art, you would get dozens of versions of them. Uh, so it could be with with women or with um, homeless people. Or so there's so many variations on that theme, yes. um, and which bring it, of course, home in a very different way. Yes. So as Christian, you start to think about um, what that Last Supper might have. Have meant if it was, if it constituted different um, guests, um, yeah. So that would be just one example. You gave another example last night of one of Serrano's pieces, well known to most people in the room. I would have thought that the, the small plastic crucifix that he actually had in a in a glass vial of his own urine that he had then taken photographs of. Um, was it called Immersed originally, but came to be known as Piss Christ? That's right. <laughs> that piece. Yeah. Um, and then when you hear his description of it, that actually the crucifixion itself should make us recoil, mm. that he was perhaps wanting to add back in an element of recoil to it, because of that's, of course, what people who didn't pause long enough to, to either listen to the piece itself or any of the commentary that was going on around it. It did make me wonder... What else have I domesticated down to a little plastic white souvenir symbol type thing? If others are being drawn to our stories, mm. perhaps there's a richness there that we need to all be paying attention to, mm. I guess. 
he's, absolutely. He's, he's got something to teach us that goes just beyond the crucifixion example, I think. Absolutely, yes. I think, yeah, it, there, there's a risk uh, um, in the Christian um, expression of faith, of cliches and glibness and, and the repetition of the same words and the same images all the time. Um, yeah, makes us forget the, the, the impact of the original event. Um, and we have to be a bit more careful, perhaps a bit more respectful with it. And that sounds funny to say that because we would say with Serrano that he is not respectful. But that's right. ultimately, I think he, he turns the tables on us and says, well, actually, he exposes something in us which, um, yeah, has we have to address. Yes. And that's, I think, often what art is for, isn't it? Uh, it's a bit of a wake-up call to um, something we've taken for granted. Yes. And, and that is a, oops, yeah, <laughs> that's another way of, of looking. Now we do the switch or the other half of the uh, faith in art. Like we're actually putting our, our trust in this thing to be doing something. And I guess that presupposes we can say something about what art is yeah. and what it's doing and what artists are trying to do. So maybe if we move into that second part of uh, flipping it, when you had the notes there, the first one you had the faith italicized, like the faith that's being represented in art. And then the second one you italicized the art. So now we're actually, we're asking the question about what is it that we're putting our faith in? Right. When, we, when we ask, say art's doing something specific and necessary to human flourishing. Can you talk a little bit about to how you approach that yeah. um, in the course, but but just kind of summarizing for us, perhaps, or to some examples? Why? Because that that's of course a difficult question, <laughs> um, and um, I think in the history of of Christian thinking about it, um, there has been kind of an oscillation between either kind of denigrating and marginalizing it and saying it's not important, and then. After a bit of a rediscovery and also some influence of romanticism, then all of a sudden, saying, "Oh, it's it, it's very unique and 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 more privileged than than the mundane things like medicine or or science or accountancy or um, yes." And so, so I think my project is to to put art in its proper place, almost uh, to see it as one human practice, yes. uh, an honest labor, an honest job, alongside others. But then we still have to address the question: How how is it different from others? Uh, um, and and one of the starting points for me often is that it's one way of making sense of the world. One way amongst others, it's not the best way or the, the least, but one way of making sense. So science makes sense of the world. Medicine makes sense of the world. Um, the, the, the many ways of making sense of the world, and art does it in a particular way. And the particular way that it makes sense of the world, I would say, is that it looks at the world as it is experienced in, in our lived experience, as it is felt or sensed. Um, and that often is something which you cannot express in words. And so whereas science looks at the structures of the world and then tries to quantify it or put it into laws, or, or verbal descriptions. Um, what, what art looks at, at, at that kind of elusive, transient lived experience, you can often not put in discursive language. Mm -hmm. And that is why we need shapes and forms and lines and colors and 
and all these other things and, and different materials and different media to, yeah. to try to capture yeah. something of that experience. Yeah. We've been focusing or giving examples from either paintings or the, the, the visual arts, but of course, everything you spoke about last night at our conversation evening, how we're talking about it now, and no doubt at all, the, the course you did in Otago was for all of the arts, the arts in its broadest form. So looking at um, poetry, literature, where film can do that as well. Absolutely. I just think of sometimes the way that a, a, a camera kind of angle will catch the, the look on an actor's face and you just, so much is being conveyed and you place yourself in their shoes that the, just the, the brilliance of a good director yeah. uh, and the actor too, of course, yeah. <laughs> and to, to do those things, um, stirring us, um, yeah, in those sorts of ways and doing it again, another thing you mentioned last night in some of the subtler emotions, was it, uh, is it Suzanne Langer? That's right. Saying it not, it's not just anger and, um, kind of jealousy and all the big ones that we've got names for, but all the little parts yes. that we, yeah. that we haven't got names for. Yeah. I loved that description. I, I won't be able to do her justice to the quote. You, you may remember some yeah. of it, but she's saying that's what artists are, are doing. Yeah. It's the, it's the unnamed qualities of things uh, which are, are captured by the arts. And, and that's why it's often so hard to talk about it as well. Uh, so when you have a, a, a piece of art and, um, the last thing you say, what does it mean? <laughs> yes. <laughs> because that's exactly what you cannot say. And so there are many anecdotes of artists who, who have been asked that question or, or, or musicians. And, and, and if an audience member asks, what does it mean? They just sit back at the piano and, and play it again. Play it again. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go back and have so another look at it. <laughs> yeah. um, so in some ways, yeah, you, you have to, to, to get it or it has to resonate with you. And not all, all art does. I mean, it doesn't have to. Right? So, um, somewise resonates more with your own experience, or or opens up some new feelings than others, and and that's perfectly fine as well. Yeah, you did admit last night to not being completely captured, at least initially, by Tracy Emmons' work, My Bed, which yeah. was uh, her. If, if you're not familiar with the uh, with the installation, it is literally her bed which has been made up to look as chaotic as it did after she went on a three or four day uh, booze and drug filled bender after a breakup. So it sounds like a terrible time that she went through, but she sort of came out of that and saw it and said, you know, that's my next piece or that's got something to, to say to people. And um, yeah, you would just sort of say that that for you wasn't initially very compelling. No, and I, I still I still think that's the case, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I think my only... A different perception to it is that I heard other people say for whom it was actually quite a moving piece sure. and because they recognized some of all the time that they were in that space. Yes. Um, but I think artistically it, it is, um, um, and you already said it, it's literally her band. It, it, it yes. is too literal. Yes. Yeah. It, yes. It, uh, um, and it doesn't have that, what I think art should have, that transformative element. Yes. Um, and the professor I studied with in uh, Toronto talks about elusivity 
I, I, I felt it was lacking allusivity. It or, didn't allude to anything. No, yeah, or suggestiveness. Yeah. It didn't evoke something. It was her bad. Um, now, Susanna Lange, coming back to her, um, she talks about art as creating a virtual reality. Okay. Now, yeah. um, the word virtual means a lot of things these days, but the idea is that it does create another world. You know, you're transported into another world, which is not in the same space as the physical space you find yourself in. Okay. And so it conveys meaning in the same way that language conveys meaning. If you say a word, um, then you think about the concept. Uh, that's a different space. It's yes. the space of meaning. Yes. Um, and I felt that um, Tracy Immelsbeth was not doing that sufficiently. Yes. As yeah. it, were. it didn't create that, that other space of the imagination where you could go off, as it were, yeah. in other... Um, well, I, I came across an article, would have been last year sometime, about an artist in Australia who had made a single McDonald's pickle uh, from a from a hamburger bun okay. in ceramic and stuck it to the the roof like okay. you like when you're a teenager you might throw your pickle onto the roof of okay. a restaurant maybe I don't yeah. know or if you're goofing around and and that was the work and you know people were you know they were so polarized <laughs> people hated it or the, and I imagine some of us have walked out of galleries feeling a little bit frustrated at, at some of what we've seen yeah. and um uh, you go back to your the 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 coal the the pile of coal that you saw um. I was mentioning to you just before we started recording that I came across Howard Gardner's uh, book, yeah. Truth, Beauty, and Goodness, or Truth, Beauty, and Goodness Reframed, I think it's called. wrote that in 2010. And he actually picks up on something that his supervisor had, had suggested to him as a way of trying to understand uh, the, the aesthetic world. He said, we've moved beyond saying things have to be beautiful because they fulfill some golden mean or golden ratio or anything like that, you know, as we... Um, so the suggestion had been that it is, uh, so three things, and he said they build on each other or there's a sort of a, like you're making a diagnosis, all three of the symptoms don't have to be there, but but some of it should be, you know, uh, that it's interesting, it's memorable, and it invites revisiting. And I quite like that, and in, in, in that Emmons beard is, is memorable, maybe I can remember it with a blue cover, yeah. uh, white pillows, um, don't remember much paraphernalia. I didn't find it that interesting. And I'm certainly not going to pay to go back and see it again. Yeah. Whereas some other works of art, I think, do do that. You, you would say, um, again, I said to you earlier, Picasso's Guernica, for example, it's not beautiful in any of the senses we'd say. It's actually quite gut-wrenching in many ways. Mm -hmm. And yet it's all of those things. that It, it, it draws you in. You, you remember it. And if it was in the room next door, we'd both put down our microphones and, and walk away <laughs> to, to, to go and see it again because it was there. Um what do you think of that as his sort of description? Is, is he, he he misses the elusivity? It's not pointing to something else or pointing to something beyond, but... Yeah, um, I love it. Yeah, I haven't come across this and I will definitely follow it up because I like it a lot. Um, yeah, the interesting, I would call, it has significant form. Right? It has lifted some features and patterns out of the world which um, are striking uh, and which makes you sit up and, and, and pay attention to it. And that's indeed, I think, a, a key feature yeah. of art. Um, the memorable as well. And, and I, I agree that the bed might be memorable, but you wouldn't go back to it to see. And yeah. I think that is unfortunately the case with uh, quite a bit of the more, what I would call signature art uh, of especially the 19th uh, and um, 
So Damien Hirst's um, shark from Aldehyde, yes. if that's a, it, I would say exactly the same about that. Yes. Yeah. So it's it's memorable, right? And and uh, but I would never go back to see it. And uh, uh, what was the interesting? Well, interesting in the same that you go to a natural history. I was going to say you'd go to an aquarium, wouldn't you? Yeah. I was going to say I'd yeah, go back. That's to more interesting. <laughs> I'm going to show my kid a shark, but then I'm like, no, I'd go to. We've got an aquarium here, Kelly Talton. So I go and yeah. show them one swimming around. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and I think that is partly forced upon them again by, um, yeah, the market. Uh, and I say, um, they're, they're they're both kind of uh, bought by Saatchi and Saatchi, and uh, and 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 Saatchi Saatchi because it is a marketing and advertising agency. It really goes for these kind of uh, well striking images at at one level. But it doesn't have the richness of 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 a of, a, of an elusive or work of art which creates that virtual world where you, um, yeah, where, where you enter into and and have um, and 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 can dwell in, uh, or, or 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 can imagine in or live in, uh, like Van Gogh's um, bedroom. Right? Yes. You, you can picture yourself in there and then dream along. As yeah. it were, <laughs> it doesn't in invite that experience. There was a Van Gogh experience here in New Zealand where they um, ended up, you don't know, as a as an art expert, you might have mixed opinions uh, of what yes. they did with it because yeah. they got made it move. And the beauty of Van Gogh's paintings is they don't have to be digital and massive and yeah. all moving and things. But they had actually for his bedroom. They had made a three-dimensional version of it, and so you know we took the kids along, and we all stood in the pop thing and took yeah. the <laughs> obligatory photo uh, there. But as a metaphor for stepping in and actually dwelling in his yeah. painting, I I quite like it, and Good. you know the kids loved it. And yeah. at this stage, I'm just happy if they're you know yeah. taking in things that way and not through a screen. To be completely honest, as a parent, if there's yeah. the ways that you can yeah. interest them in in the art, the visual world, but it's not. Uh, screen or game based, then um, I'm all for it. Yeah. But that's another whole podcast we need to talk about yeah. in terms yeah. of how you how you seen it <laughs> and uh, I heard about it and uh, I suspend judgment <laughs> until I uh, actually would uh, would visit. Yeah, actually, look, there was another one that came out about a year later, I think, here in Auckland. It was just last year on Salvador Dali. Okay. Uh, a very different experience, I've got to say. It's one thing to have Van Gogh's work on sort of 10 metre high images. Uh, it's quite another to have some of Dali's work and how much of Dali's work was about Dali. Ever more bizarre photos of himself and himself as as a as a work of, of art. Um, maybe if we talk a little bit about the artist. And for the Christian artist, what, what is an appropriate level of self-expression? You're giving rise to these things that you feel. Um, yeah, do you just want to talk a little bit about some of the artists that you've you've seen interacted with? What what level of self expression is okay? That was actually a question someone asked me if I would ask you. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I I seem to be a little bit hesitant with with calling art self expression because yeah. uh, in the sense of kind of venting emotions. Uh, yeah, it, it it is again uh, about a more subtle uh, uh, level of experience. Um, and it may not even have had to be the artist's own lived experience in the sense that, uh, I mean, um, 
when you're our students, you haven't actually lived all that much. Yes. <laughs> so yes. what what I'm talking about with with that experience might just be um, a, a, a a perception of, of something of shapes and forms uh, and playing around. So you don't have to have have to make grand statements about conditions of human life or existential questions. Yes. Uh, and and I think a lot of young artists think they have to. Uh, or, or my big social statements, and they say, "Well, I, I, I've just come out of school. <laughs> yeah. I haven't actually lived very much." Yes. Um, but the start of that is really shapes and forms. Uh, so, what what captures your attention? And um, we talked about. Uh, I think I called the question saying, uh, "How do you teach that?" But I think artists do that naturally, and they know, and uh, they they see things in reality. But um, yeah, they they know that they picked pick on things in, uh, in uh, even walking in the street and uh, they would be struck by a particular building or a billboard or something which other people wouldn't uh, so they, they would be more in their minds or they, they're just more functional so if you if you just stick with those experiences so that's not necessarily self-expression yes uh, but it's still expressive of your experiences and it may just be on the perceptual level one of the examples that you had in your book was a picture. I think it might have been an etching of some kind, simply of people leaving the subway, yes. uh, a crowded um, sort of exit of the subway, yeah. done in just in black and white. Yeah. Um, and again, talk about not 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 going for the jugular with anger or you know love or but just those feelings as you're exiting after a busy day from a subway and. You're wanting to get home and there's other people around and the bustle of all of that yeah. captured in that moment. Exactly. Exactly. That would be a good example. Uh, it's one of my favorite printmakers, Peter Smith. Okay. Um, and um, what comes through in that is, 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 is the love for the people. Right. And, 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 and the way it comes through is by his attention for the detail of the textures of the coats. And that that sounds funny, but every coat uh, and and it's kind of weathered or rain sodden or uh, but he has captured with such loving detail, and I think there's a Christian kind of message there. Uh, so every, these people are kind of at the end of a busy day, commuters, and the last thing you want to do is, is get all that tube. It is horrible in uh, in London because they're all kind of old and dirty, and um, so. But he 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 just said, yeah, that um, that you you matter. Uh, the, it, you would never look at these people if you're actually there walking out of them because you're so occupied with kind of getting the steps right yourself or making your, your way. You, you don't look at. That. And he captured with such loving attention yeah. all these uh, these details of the clothes and the facial expression. So um, yeah, he's almost doing his own vision of a pointillism. You know, they're just the dot dot. They're laying it down. Yeah. Who, um, is it Sarah? 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 Yeah. Who would do that? Would just yeah. again painstaking. Yeah. He's done his own version. Yeah. In a in a sort of a cross hatching. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're we're concentrating on, uh, say in this case, print uh, or paintings or, or or other um visual forms. Was it in a in a letter that T. S. Eliot was saying? Well, he was expressing his frustration in a letter. Why am I fiddling around with the words? Was it in his book later where he said, here's what yeah. the poet is trying to do. Yeah, yeah. They're trying to help you to feel things you didn't even know you were feeling. Exactly. 
give language to feelings you were feeling, but weren't quite sure yeah. how to. Any favorite examples of 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 that in in sort of written word? Um, I mean, his his poems might be a place to start. Yes, you um, you gave us the example of of him doing doing that and fiddling with those words yes. during the Blitz. Yeah, exactly. When he thought, well, uh, am I not rearranging the the deck chairs on the Titanic when I'm <laughs> yeah. sitting here at my desk? Um, I think all all poetry, yeah, has has that. I'm, I'm, I can't single out in particular. Um, but I think it applies to all the arts, really, and musicians as well. Um, the, the equivalent in, in music would also be uh, paying attention to um, to dynamics and, and timbre, for example, uh, and textures, um, which are often the least quantifiable. Uh, so okay. we can do pitch and melody and, um, and harmony. We can put in a score. But uh, it is often those unquantifiable elements in music, uh, which which makes the music what it is, yes, um, and that they they're often um, given least attention also in musicology and music theory because they're the least intellectual, they're the most sensuous, yes, and and the least um, um, yeah, the, the verbal, the, the most difficult to describe. In terms of capturing the the feelings of reality, I think that was how. One commentator you mentioned, last yeah, night. reality as felt. Reality as felt. I love, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think, um, and you were giving so many examples. You were um, giving examples from Cezanne. You're saying, "I'm not trying to capture this literally or copy it. Um, I'm, I'm trying to just capture something and do it justice, mm-hmm. but, but in another way that that isn't like that." I think that for me, when I uh, did a bit of study on this, re- you know couple of years ago looking at photography specifically there's something that's missing in photography it was picasso who said photography's arrived i can die now (laughs) which is of course untrue because he did anything but paint things literally as they were but perhaps just taking us back to i don't want to just keep harping on about tracy emmons my beard but there's something there where it, it is too literal it's not giving us room and space to do anything else but a painting does uh, Van Gogh's bedroom. There are ways in which that could be any bedroom, or we've all had aspects of bedrooms that look like that for us, and a, a fluffy p- pillow that looked a little bit like that that we might want to go and put our head on. Mm. Do you think that that's something specific to the arts, where they're, they're, they're capturing it in a way that that gives us that room to join in? Um, I, I might be a bit more favorable to photography. Okay. I mean, <laughs> yes, art, art photography, it, it does that too. I okay. Mean, the way it, 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 it plays with lights and darks and uh, also textures and, and, and oh, yeah, amazing. And um, it, often it might actually be inspired by paintings. That's right. interesting. Yes. So the way yeah. you see through a photograph might actually subconsciously often yeah. has been um, inspired by bits. Um, I'm just thinking about um, a, a film as an example, or a, a film series called Better Call Saul. Okay. Um, yes. Yeah, it's, it's it's a spin-off of Breaking Bad, but it starts off with a little um, uh, three four minutes. Um, well, almost for, it's silent filming photography, and it's just exquisite. 
Yeah. The way they zoom in on the detail and then zoom out and yeah. um, and you're often not quite sure what it is initially. It might be a little bug walking or or just a shadow on and yes and uh, or or a blade of grass uh, in in the wind and uh, and then it, it it zooms out. You see the larger picture, but it's purely playing with forms and shapes yes. and lights and colors and and uh, it's absolutely magnificent. Yes. So, I mean, and you can do that in a still picture as well. Indeed. I, I think um, the, the debate rages on. I think when photography came out, there was that, that yeah. debate was quite fierce and with, yes, with and some photographers insisting, no, no, what I'm doing here is art. Yeah. And, and, and and seeing their work and, and reading what they were doing behind it. Um, yeah, that it's, 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 um, it's impressive. We've already talked a little bit about Christians in the arts and Christians appreciating art. If we think specifically about the church, say, there's been a bit of a checkered history of, of artists in the church and and maybe misunderstanding that's gone both ways. But particularly, I think, artists feeling that, you know, the, the church hasn't really understood what it is that they're doing. Or sometimes understanding their, their call, that their call maybe doesn't, doesn't exist within the four walls of the church. Or... If it does and they're invited to do it, it's often in some uh, quite instrumentalized ways. Yes. And one friend <laughs> made the comment recently, we're often asked and at the at the end of a project <laughs> to make this look good or something. <laughs> we've got a whole, you know, sort of theological or, or, or we've got some pastoral thing we're trying to do within the church. Can you give it an artistic, the, the artistic tick of approval? Yeah. And we're just suggesting you need to bring us right back in at the beginning of the project because we might have been able to introduce some some way more interesting questions that could, we could have been tracking through, changing the very shape of this. Have you seen churches doing it well? Have you are there, are there sort of things that, that churches could be could be doing to to foster that understanding and collaboration? Yeah, I have actually. Um, I think in England it has been mainly kind of Anglican churches who have done so. Um, there's now quite a culture in cathedrals to um, commission artists and often artists of no faith, interestingly, um, to um, enhance some some aspect um, of, of their building. Um, in fact, coming back to Tracy Eamon, um, she was uh, asked to do something for Liverpool Cathedral. Yes. And, um, and, and she did some kind of new lettering. And I knew you loved me. Uh, I can't remember what it said, but so, so, some... Phrase with, with, yeah, I, with, with I saw you, or I saw you, and you knew. And I saw you, and I knew you loved me, and something like that. Something like that. Yes. Um, there's also a church in London, St James's Piccadilly, um, who works with both artists of faith and non, um, often addressing social issues. So there were installations with, say, um, dinghy boats referring to refugees or um, um, life jackets. And so on. So trying to link the worship in the church to social issues outside. Mm-hmm. Um, commissions, lots of commissions also for more directly liturgical art. So, um, I, I, yeah, the last 10, 20 years, I think that have, has been, I could mention lo- lots of examples. There's an, um, yeah. a journal called Art and Christianity Enquiry. Unless they changed their name up, 
um, and um, that that will be full yeah. full of examples. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. What's interesting about the the Emin piece, just a very unlikely piece for him. Yeah. I, I think it was I felt you, and I knew you loved. I think it might be I felt you and you knew you loved. What I noticed when you put a picture of that up last night was I the left out eye. Uh, no, no, no. I, oh, was it? I, I'm not sure, but um, that I noticed the only word, as far as I could read it, because it's in, in handwriting almost. It is. But me is the only one not capitalised, which I thought was interesting as I looked across oh. it, and I wondered whether she. Just in the cathedral, was just feeling smaller and yeah, smaller, but yeah. seen in fact, I don't know. That's just, interesting observation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Only one not, not yeah. And the me. neon is interesting as well because I mean you associate that with with fairgrounds and with kind of vulgar entertainment or, um, and um, and but underneath that stained glass window, it picked up some of those colours as the well. Same colours, yeah, 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 yeah. match as well. To so the artists themselves, um, Andy Crouch wrote an article, What I Wish My Pastor Knew About the Life of a Scientist. And it was a wonderful, uh, both an ode to his wife's profession, but also saying, here are the points of kind of tension. Are there things that as you've interacted with artists over the years, if you were to just summarize what what a few of the sections might be in that, (laughs) what I wish wish my pastor knew about the life of an artist? Well, um, I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier. If, if, if pastors would recognize that the life of an artist is about this pre-reflective experience more generally, I think, or I would hope uh, that they would be less kind of prescriptive right. or in, in their commissions um, and um, understand that an artist needs that freedom. For example, when Liverpool Cathedral commissioned Tracy Eamon, they almost give her carte blanche to do whatever she wanted. Right. I mean, I'm sure it had to be signed off at some level, uh, but they walked with her through the church and said, what spaces kind of speak to you? And 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 so she had, had really a whole day to walk through the cathedral and d- think of the spaces, um, which is very different uh, from saying to an artist, we want something on this wall, and it has to refer to that biblical story, and it has to make this point. And right, yes, okay. And and I think that is not something, um, yeah, artists would 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 thrive in. That is not to say that there is not a place for specific commissions. I do believe that, right. which are uh, they say, no, we need something for this, and it is, uh, it is whatever this chapel is to commemorate, for example, and so this has to be a commemorative plaque or a commemorative. There is definitely a place for that as well. But if the pastor also would recognize that within that frame, the artist needs. Uh, to use his or her imagination yes. uh, to the full, and and that may, um, yeah, sometimes uh, come to surprising results, which are possibly or quite likely better <laughs> than having a very um, strict um, commission, very strict uh, prescriptive um, brief. When I was living in Australia uh, a number of years ago. We've got a radio station over there called Triple J. It uh, plays a lot of alternative music. It's a government-funded uh, radio station, um, and it's charged with supporting a lot of Australian acts, especially up-and-coming ones, and they, they play a percentage of Australian music. But I heard the chief of programming once interviewed, and the journalist sort of rather provocatively said, you know, um, how come you're you're not playing what people like? And... He responded by saying, um, 
I, I'm not here to play what people like. I'm here to decide what they like. And there was an absolute uproar because people were sort of like, oh, you know, how dare you, how arrogant of you. But when I heard it, I quite liked it. Yeah. That he saw his job as actually shaping our tastes, yeah. not just pandering to them. And he's kind of like, you can go anywhere else in here yeah. on any pop station, but if you come here, we're actually going to give you a bit of an education. And you you, you hinted at that last night, that we, we yeah. can educate our tastes um, a bit. Do you, do you want to sort of speak to that? Because I think that's worth knowing too, that we, we, we can have conversations, we can talk to artists, we can... Yeah. yeah, I love that that answer, and, <laughs> yeah. and I you know that makes me immediately think that uh, that is very relevant to Christian contributions, because you you indeed um, contribute to shaping the minds and tastes of people, and often that can only be done by modeling something. Yes, uh, you can do a lot of critique and say what is wrong, but unless you put something else in in the place for it. Um, People can't do it, and 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 so and when you model a shape taste with new experiences and new forms and shape, um, that it expands people's minds, and they say, "Oh, yeah, that that makes sense," and and they they can build on that, and, and I think that is so needed also in um, in the media, uh, so that we don't go back to the uh, repeat all the cliches, uh, but have a genuinely a new, fresh Christian work. And not not explicitly Christian, but kind of giving uh, and then giving shape to some. For example, it's very difficult to um, um, model uh, good characters. Uh, good characters. It's easy, much easier to do evil characters because they're more interesting. <laughs> uh, but um, to do an, the, um, the henchman. <laughs> yeah, uh, but to model a good character positively. Uh, so that it become inviting that people say, oh, that's, that's a really lovely person. I think Marilyn um, Robinson has done that with her book uh, Gilead, um, uh, where the main character is someone with flaws, uh, but he generally tries to be a good person. And you, you enter into that world of, of yeah struggling with well, what is the right thing to do, uh, which we all, we all want to do right, but we don't know quite how to do it. And he had that as well, and that is a good person. And and there are not many uh, works of literature which which do that. And I think again, in in so if we can shape music, films, um, yeah, books, um, to to that end, then the Christian faith becomes inviting. Uh, so that we say we want to 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 join that, or we'll be be intrigued by it. Uh, it's not boring. It's it's not yeah. Um, it, it's it's something fresh which we. We are hungry for. You mentioned last night that there is a space for Christian curators to talk yeah. about shaping that and what it looks like and modeling it. And I just almost fell off my chair. I'd never thought of that as I, I think if I was listening to you and I was in my late teens or late twenties, rather my late forties, I might've dropped my job and changed, but I'm too late in life to do a complete change now. But I just thought what a marvelous thing to set out to educate yourself to do and be a curator of, of, of spaces. Yeah, and I met someone in Nelson who did exactly that. Um, and um, and he showed us some examples of his work and it was it was wonderful and it did stand out. Uh, it was at the secular gal gallery. And also we, we talked about how much statements do, there should be with and how, how, how much explicit you should um, the statements make next to art. And he did just the right balance. Uh, so it, 
it gave some clues to the art. It wasn't over-theoretical, it wasn't obtrusive, it wasn't pretentious, um, but it invited you to look at the art which um, uh, enriched your experience and which gave you a clue into it. I can see someone earning a living as a curator because you're being salary paid by a gallery or a museum or something. What about being an artist? I have had friends say that, gosh, if if there are writers out there who are making a living, you will know their name. In other words, by the time you're earning enough to make a living from your writing, you're already a household name. And for anyone who's not, they, they won't be. And that that's probably similar in almost any <laughs> of the arts that you look at, whether that's poetry as well. And for poets, I imagine, even if you do know their name, that they won't be earning heaps at the, at the moment. Um, filmmakers, others who are doing it, uh, let alone people who are doing contemporary dance or other forms of of art. Do you have any sort of reflections on that? Any suggestions? How might the church support their their artists or those who, in some ways, you, you put it under the um, umbrella of the prophetic? Really, they're they're speaking to something, to God being at work, to 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 parts of life. They're bringing. There's an unveiling work that they're doing. How might the church value that more and support them? Yeah. Good question. Um, to start with, they could, they could support them in uh, non-monetary ways by, say, providing spaces uh, or giving them the opportunity to exhibit, or if they have um, in a church a spare room where there could be a studio, and that might also be an educational experience for yeah. the congregation to to see someone at work. Um, some churches have artists in residence uh, who would kind of work alongside the the congregation and bring out something. Um, it's a tricky one. Yeah. Uh, because so you hesitate. There's a hesitation there around monetary forms uh, yeah. of actually su supporting someone in possibly, that way. Possibly, yeah. because other um, people in the congregation say, "Well, well, I'm I'm having a struggling business making wheelchairs, uh, right. uh, yeah. which is a yep. good product. Why why, why don't I <laughs> yes. get get funding?" Um, so, but the, the church could well first understand the artist in the same way that they should understand the scientist. Uh, but also that support, again, I think there's a place for not only Christian curators and all the others, but Christian policymakers um, who um, have a sense for what, what the appropriate funding way for artists is. And that should not be totally state-funded, I believe, um, uh, where the, the state is, is dictating also what, what you should do. Um, it should not be totally the free market, but it, it should be some intermediate um art councils or, or, or something which so it might be a mixed economy for okay. yes. an, an artist uh, that perhaps some funding from the church some um uh, from these these art councils or grants um but sometimes they also just alongside have to support themselves by art teaching or um uh, or, or other project uh, uh, projects um I, I don't think it will ever be that every artist can expect to live entirely of their art. I think there's, that's almost a fact of, of life. Um, so, um, yeah. Uh, and, but the awareness of the church 
of the artist and the struggling, and that also when they ask them to do a particular project, that they do pay them. That that, that yes. is, yeah, in the same way that you would pay your plumber uh, yes. to fix the toilets. Yeah. Uh, so you, and if you then say, can you uh, do a work for this Sunday, or th that you pay the organist as well? Um, I I think that's that's just fair because it's a professional, um, yeah, uh, job they are doing. And then the whole thing about cultivating art is always extremely difficult. I know one artist who, who says, well, um, I I calculate my art in the hours I spent on it. So um, I spent two weeks on that, so 40 hours a week, um, 80 hours, um, minimum wage. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and that, that's what it costs. Yeah, yeah. Or, or and then uh, the materials on top. So in the same way that you would ask someone to design your garden, as yeah. it were. Um, so, of course, the market has gone completely mad uh, at the moment, the art market, huh? yes. With, um, and I, I think it's obscene, the, the prices which are being paid, um, but um, yeah, so that needs to be addressed as well. That Again, coming back to this very beginning, uh, art has to be put in its proper place. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a, a social contribution as, as, as all the others, no more nor less, so artists should get a proper wage that call to service yeah. that you invited us into last night Absolutely. was awesome. That um, yeah. this is, this is a way for those who are, who are skilled in that way, been gifted by the Lord who are called, yeah. um, it is a, a work of service. Yeah. But for us to recognize that as such too. But we are drawing to a close a couple, just a, maybe a couple of final questions for you. We've, we've said one of the themes you've noticed in more recent times is the increase of Christian symbolism in art. Is there anything else interesting going on, like some other kind of themes that you've seen emerging, maybe in even in the the decades that you've been interested in studying this? Um, well, on a broader level, coming back to that um, interaction between uh, uh, churches and, and the arts. Yeah. So... Artists are partly attracted by church because they have big spaces okay. and, and interesting spaces. Of, oh, well, yeah, and yeah. Uh, so they can have big installations in it. And with the uh, churches diminishing in um, congregations, a lot of churches would, would close otherwise, but they are actually turned ironically into art centers. Okay. So um, I'm involved with a group of artists in, um, in, in our association and, um, uh, in England. Um, and it has been looking for space, and for a long time it has avoided uh, the churches, uh, so not uh, to 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 associate too closely with with uh, church life. But the scene has changed; that actually you can now uh, uh, have your office or your studios in, in churches because it's more commonly accepted that these would be art spaces. So there's a strange kind of uh, um, yeah coming together sometimes of churches and art, which is, is kind of unexpected. Um, but I think it's a positive uh, element because to some extent, I mean, that, that are, that religion and art, they, they both make also meaning of life. And the, so there's actually more in common uh, than the modernist uh, suggested. Look, if a, if a wonderful church building is going to be used for anything when its congregation moves on, I'm I'm glad it's an art gallery <laughs> yes. rather than you know yeah. an engineering yeah. plant or a 
some sort of an accountancy firm, with all due respect to engineering parts and accountancy exactly. firms, but just in terms of the aesthetic meeting of those two, th there's something there that seems appropriate, yeah. doesn't it? So perhaps one final question, and I, I think I've picked up enough in this last 24 hours to not ask you what your favourite piece of art is or anything like that. <laughs> to you can. Get, <laughs> or would you would you have an answer there, like any, well, any sort of favourite? I've been very um, impressed by the work of uh, Ai Weiwei, the uh, Chinese dissident oh, yes. artist. Yeah. 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 And this one particular work I've also discussed in class, which in, in class, which is called Straight. Uh, which was made after the um, the Chinese um, earthquake in Sichuan, um, and it consists of of, of rebar iron rods, um, which are retrieved from the um, earthquake site, and they have been meticulously straightened again and put in an abstract kind of installation, which kind of uh, wave like, uh, uh, and uh, echoing almost the the the, the earth. Quake, um, the wave, yeah, wave, the wave, yeah, rolls across the land. That's most. right. Yeah, uh, but in addition to that, it, it has a very critical social um, aspect because the um, earthquake showed that the buildings, which were um, all falling apart, were, were the schools, and they were not only done on fault, uh, built on fault lines, but often with corrupt building um, uh, regulations. So um, 5,000 children died in there, and the state wanted to cover it up. And so I waited did a whole investigation in, in it, and, and citizens' investigation, to get all the names of the children. And he was repeatedly rebuffed and even imprisoned for it. Um, and But he persisted, and so in, eventually he did his installation, and all the names of the children are hanged on the wall. So it's a piece in the gallery, but it's also commemorative, and it has a very socially engaged aspect. And uh, I find it's an, an, a very rich piece. Wow. Straight. So yeah. if you, Straight. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. What I was going to ask you was how how do you sort of feed your your love of it? Are you, I imagine you could you yeah. could spend every waking hour. Um, at galleries and things, but how how do you do that? What yeah, how much time have you spend doing it? Um, and I love um, meeting artists and hear them talk about their work um, and um, yeah, being in studios and uh, just listening to uh, artists themselves. And I uh, I think that is um, yeah, I find real eye openers always. Well, Adrian, you have very much inspired us to do the same so thank you for uh, not only this podcast but for for coming out and uh, spending time in new zealand it's been a long long trip for you thank you so much for being here you're very welcome and thanks for having me <laughs>